Ohio State is off this week, but there's no bye weeks on Real Pod Wednesdays. We are back. I'm Dan Hope. I'm joined here by Colin Hill. I'll warn you all in advance, I am battling a bit of a cold here, so try to avoid any coughing fits or gross noises, uh, but if you hear them, that's why. Uh, Colin, you feeling good? Yeah, I played with the headache uh, a few weeks ago. I believe in you. You can get through this. We got we got one hour. We can do it. I, I made it through a late night game on Saturday night, and I'm I'm feeling better now than I did then. So I think we can get through this. Uh, a, a week of rest and recovery for all of us, uh, not just for the players, uh, but for us too. Um, and it's a good week to rest. I don't know the slate offhand, but I know just seeing next week, this upcoming weekend's college football games. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good Texas, week. It's a good weekend to be able to follow the Oklahoma, rest of college Texas, football. LSU, Florida, Penn State, and Iowa. I'll definitely be spending a lot of my Saturday watching college football. Tells you how exciting my life as a beat writer is. That the one week I don't have to cover college football for my job, it's probably what I'll be spending most of my Saturday doing anyways. So, but at least at least it's a situation where you got some good games and not like if. We didn't cover Ohio State last week, and you had to find yeah, something if, if to watch was, last week. If there, week, were, no, were, if there were no good games, I would probably, I probably would find something else to do for at least part of my Saturday. But, but man, this week uh, there's going to be some good ones to watch. Uh, that, that's that's no question about that. We thought Ohio State, Michigan State was going to be good to watch, and for a quarter, quarter and a half, two quarters, it was, and then it's just the exact same thing that. This happened throughout this entire year, happened again, and they pulled away, and then they won. They covered, they won by 24. Well, yeah, I think it definitely was a more competitive game. Uh, I think there's no question that Michigan State was a step up in competition for Ohio State. But like you mentioned, it was still another convincing victory for the Buckeyes, 34-10 win over Michigan State. Fifth game in a row, they won over 500 yards of offense. Sixth game in a row to start the season, they held their opponent under 300 yards of offense. Uh, we, we've talked about it all year. It feels like a broken record, but uh, this is a really complete football team. You look statistically right now, this is the most complete team in college football, ranked in the top eight nationally in points per game, yards per game, yards per play, points allowed per game, yards allowed per game, yards allowed per play. There's no other team that that's, has such complete statistics for the first six games of a year. And for all the talk about you know, the strength of schedule and who has Ohio State played, if you if you really look at their schedule versus every other team's schedule, at least the undefeated team's schedules, nobody's – Alabama and Clemson and LSU and Georgia and Florida, none of these teams have played a murderer's row yet. Most of them have played mostly teams that have losing records at this point. And Ohio State, actually, other than Miami, Ohio, every team they've played so far has a winning record. So – Michigan State, Indiana, Nebraska, those aren't the kind of games that are going to make Ohio State's college football playoff resume. Those games are coming up in the second half of the year against Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan. But the fact that Ohio State has been so consistently dominant against these teams, they've won all of their games so far this year by 24 points or more, I think that is enough to feel really, really good about this Ohio State football team this year. Yeah, I mean, being Michigan State and Indiana and whatnot, it's not going to send them to the college football playoff, and nor should it. But, listen, we, we, we just cover the team. You guys cheer for the team that, that's in front of you. And, listen, we've all watched a lot of Ohio State teams come through, and we all know that this one, this one's a little more complete than pretty much every team that's come in in, in recent years, uh, dating back to their probably since the national championship team. Um, 
I feel like we keep on repeating ourselves over and over, but like this is the thing that's special about this team, and it's that you look up and down it, and they struggled for a quarter. They were up three to nothing. They had 16 total yards after the first quarter, and you sort of start to wonder, will they put it together? And then they have the exact same second quarter that we've seen them have against lesser opponents. Um, and they do it in the same way. They do it with defense. They do it with offense. They do it with turnovers. They do it. They do it with this complete style of game. Um, I think that we can take away exactly what you said. That we can take away. This is a very complete team. It's a very talented team, and and we're gonna have to see how they. We're gonna have to wait as we have waited for a month and a half now to see how they're gonna do against step up in competition. Like, who's looking at this and being like, well, you know, I just I'm looking at Wisconsin. It's I don't know how they're gonna get by the Badgers. I feel I, I'm. I feel pretty confident about against them uh, with them against most against every team that they're going to face throughout the rest of the regular season. You mentioned that second quarter. I think one of the craziest stats of the season so far for Ohio State is now in five straight games, Ohio State has scored at least 21 points in the second quarter. Uh, it seems like this team, uh, once it gets that ball rolling, it, it, they can just really explode on a team. And I and I think you know sometimes. Uh, some first quarters have been slower than others. I think a lot of times after halftime, they're able to start to ease off the gas pedal a little bit because they've been able to take such convincing leads into the second half of every game. But we've seen it those second quarters, every single game, they've just been able to pull away and put their stamp on this game where you, you have not had a game yet this year where, where you go into halftime and think, are they going to lose tonight? Every single game you go into halftime and – there's a lot of reason to feel good about the Buckeyes. Yeah, it was interesting when you when you look back at the first quarter and um, you rewatch it. Like, there's sort of one thing that stands out to me, especially offensively, because defensively they, they didn't give up any points. Um, they had forced two turnovers and put them in, put the offense in great field position twice, and then Ohio State got three points out of it. And I was like, oh well, that's not exactly what you want to get out of this. Is this one of those days? And then. Obviously, the second quarter happened, but to me, it was the offensive line. That was the number one thing. I mean, listen, Josh Allaby had such a great game against Nebraska that he comes in, and I think we were both expecting Brandon Bowen to start, and then when he ran out there with the starters, it wasn't like a, oh, man, they're in trouble because we had just seen him against Nebraska, but he didn't play very well. Um, I think they correctly took him out after two series. I think they made the, the right decision, um, and together – they just, like, mistakes compounded. So I think Alibi missed about three or four blocks in the first two possessions. They had a stretch at the end of the first quarter where Bowen just got destroyed on a spin move. The Nets play Wyatt Davis completely whiffed on a block, led to a tackle for loss, and then Ben Victor had his drop. And it was just like these mistakes compounded upon themselves. And, and when you hear them after the game, like a lot of players say, like, we beat ourselves. It sort of it sort of was the case a little bit more than than sometimes when they say that where a lot of times you're facing a, a really good a really good opponent. Um, I think Michigan State was really tough, especially with their front seven to deal with throughout the game. But early on, I don't think the offensive line played very well, and then there were just a few mistakes and issues that sort of compounded. Yeah, you, they looked human for a little bit, they and, did. and for that's, the first time. That's okay. And they I almost think, entered their bye week without looking human. I think that's actually a good thing entering their bye week because. At some point, at some point, if this team faces no adversity, if they just roll through everybody, at some point it gets harder 
for Ryan Day and his coaching staff to preach what they want to preach about uh, we need to get better. Uh, we need to keep improving. We, we need to keep working the same uh, way we've worked every week. And you heard a couple things like going into the Michigan State game where I think Justin Fields, like that week, it said that Ohio State has a chance to be the best team to ever come through. Ohio's, this Ohio State team is the best has a chance to be the best team to ever come through Columbus. That's a, that's a, that's a hefty statement that after was, five that games. Was, that was a lot more confident than he had sounded in past weeks, yeah. just in terms – No, I shouldn't say more confident because he's a guy that I think projects natural confidence, but in terms of being more Outwardly, boastful about yeah. it, more, you know, more talking about the future, uh, that was the first time I think we had really seen him where he was saying – you know, I think we have the potential uh, to be the best team in the country. I think we have a potential to be one of the best teams to come through Ohio State. So, it, naturally, I mean, we've talked about it. Every media member who covers this team has talked about it. Naturally, it's going to start to creep into players' heads that, uh, hey, we're really good, and we've got a chance to do a lot of really good things this year. But they've still got a long way to go. So, uh, I think the way Saturday's game went, I think a little bit of adversity is good. I think a little bit of, hey, we're still beatable is good because now the coaches can go back and say, hey, we overcame it this time, but if this happens against a better opponent down the line, we might not be able to bounce back. At some point this, at some point this season, I don't know when, but at some point this season this team is probably going to find itself in a hole at some point. They're most likely going to have a bad first quarter and be trailing coming out of the first quarter. And they're going to need to come back, and they're going to need to play out through a game to, to fight for that win. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen much this year the way this team's playing, but I do think it'll happen at some point. And this team needs to be ready for those moments. And I think Saturday at least, you know, we saw Justin Fields played the entire game. We saw the, the starting offensive line played the entire game. Uh, some of our guys played the entire game as well. I think that's important because these guys, six games into the year, they have not had to play a fourth quarter where the game's on the line. But at some point, they're probably going to have to. So, so they need to at least face a little adversity so they're ready for it. Yeah, I think they sort of like it's just it's just sort of lucky how this sort of played out in two regards. One, the how they got the adversity and how it looked, and then two, the timing of the bye week because the adversity like. You don't want to be last year's team where it felt like every single game they were facing adversity and they had to overcome something. You just you don't want that for like a couple of reasons. One, because it probably means you're not as good as you think you are, and two, because you're always being evaluated by the college football playoff committee. And like even against an Indiana, a Nebraska, like a blowout a blowout matters. If you if you're blowing out the teams you're supposed to beat by a lot, that matters. Um, and they've done that. And this kind of adversity, to me was good because they got hit early, they didn't look very good, they responded well, they won by 24 points. You sort of achieve everything. The coaches get to say, well, you didn't look good for this this part of the game. And then they also won by a good amount, beat a, beat a good team with a good defense, and look good for the college football playoff committee. And to me, that's sort of all you want. Yeah, I mean, you, can't, you, you absolutely don't – you, you can take up the adversity, but you still come out of Saturday's game saying, again, they strengthened their case as being maybe the best team in college football this year because of the way the final stats came out, uh, the way they won on the scoreboard. Really, they, they could have won 41-10 to 10 because there was a pick six late in the game by Jordan Fuller that was brought back by what I think was kind of a questionable penalty. Yeah, it was on, one of those where it's like, I, I, saw, I see why they called it, but... 
Man, that was a that, uh, you didn't have to. Yeah, I was but but but, uh, but I, I, it was one of those. <laughs> yeah, but the point is, they won convincingly. The game was never in jeopardy in the second half. I still think they looked a little human there in the third quarter. Justin Fields finally threw his first interception. They didn't score again until the fourth quarter. So it wasn't like once they exploded in the second quarter, they just kept rolling and piling on. But it was still a convincing win. Uh, uh, still, uh, a, I think a really strong way to go into the bye week. Uh, at six and zero, uh, we we talk about guys who I think are you know really performing at a high level right now. I think you got to start uh, coming off this last game with J.K. Dobbins. Ran for 172 yards, including a 67-yard touchdown against a defense that had allowed just 55.8 rushing yards per game going into that game. Uh, so far. Uh, this is the kind of season that J.K. Dobbins uh, didn't have last year, but he was supposed to have this year. He has 826 rushing yards already. Uh, the betting line preseason was 1,100 rushing yards. A laughable at the time. Yeah. It's even more laughable now. Yeah, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to obliterate that. Uh, so there's no question uh, J.K. Dobbins has reestablished himself as one of the best running backs in the country. He might not even be the best running back in his own conference, thanks to Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin, but... Uh, he has definitely put himself right up there now in that elite running back conversation. If you're wondering, uh, he gives himself a B plus for this season, <laughs> which sounds, which is about what I would have expected to hear from him because yes. he, he is a. He called last year a failure and he rushed for a thousand yards, yeah, so he, he's not someone who's going to give himself an A plus midway through. A season. He is his own toughest critic, but I think that's part of what makes him great. And it's what makes him get along with Tony Alford, who I think you sort of have. Who is also that a very tough critic. He is. Yeah, he is not a. Uh, he is not a sunshine and rainbows kind of coach. No, he is I don't think he gave a, J.K. Uh, an A plus for any game yet this year. No, no, he he pushes his guys hard, but J.K. is the type of guy who responds well to that. So uh, that's why he's having so much success. Uh, of course, we got to give credit to the offensive line too. Uh, Thayer Munford, Jonah Jackson, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis. Those guys have all been excellent this year. Uh, right tackle, you mentioned that before. Still a little bit of a question mark in my eyes. Uh, they made the decision to start Joshua Albee uh, on right tackle uh, against Michigan State. Played for two series. R really uh, can't sugarcoat it. it. It did not go well. No, uh, it, it did not go well, uh, which is why they made the move to put Brandon Bowen in. Uh, not sure if they were trying to hold Brandon Bowen out for another week after he had had back spasms. And uh, Kevin Wilson sort of mentioned that they were both – a They're both a little banged up. up. Yep, and yep. Alibi isn't isn't used to playing a full game. He had he had done that for week four at Nebraska and played great against Nebraska. He was offensive player of the game against Nebraska. I thought the film matched up with that. But against a tougher defensive line, one of the better defensive lines that they'll face all year uh, against Michigan State, uh, Alibi looked like he was in over his head. Uh, doesn't mean he can't come back and play better in in later games of the year. But I, I do think that's a little bit of a question mark right now. Uh, yeah, and, I, and, and it's on a team where there's so few question marks that anything that sort of looks like it might crop up at some point is you, you think about it a lot yeah. more than you normally would. And I think Bowen has played solid. I, I think I so don't too. think I think compared to the other offensive linemen, I think he's been the weak link. But I think overall, and this is something we talked about going into the season. I think compared to last year's offensive line, oh, I think this year's close. offensive line is performing at a much higher level, especially in the run game is where you really see it show up. Because uh, Josh Myers, I mean, you just tell when, when I asked Kevin Wilson about the offensive line on Tuesday and he brought up Josh Myers and he said he called him really good, I think, three straight times in a row uh, before he could even finish his thought. That's how impressed he's been. Uh, Ryan Day said on Tuesday that, 
Uh, Jonah Jackson's as close to a pro as he's been around, which is kind of an Urban Meyer uh, quote right there. But uh, Jonah Jackson, Josh Myers, those guys have made a huge impression on him. Fair Munford, uh, quite frankly, when he went down in the first quarter, I thought he was done for the game. He was really, oh, yeah. really slowly limped off the field. He was right back in on the next series and ended up being offensive player of the game. Uh, Wyatt Davis, I think probably the interior lineman, he's probably been probably the least consistent in my opinion, but we've also seen him make some straight nasty blocks. Uh, I know that he had another one uh, that got some attention on Twitter this week uh, for a really good block. That yeah, he and that all, the tweet, who is that from? Uh, Cole Kublik. You know, I actually knew who it was. I just didn't want to pronounce his name. That was my secret right there. there um, but so he's from the SEC Network, and he called. He said that he thinks Wyatt Davis might be the best performing guard um, in this throughout college football through in the first six games. But I don't think he's the best guard on his own team right now. I think Jonah Jackson's playing at a higher level, um, at a more consistent level. And to be honest, like he's sort of playing exactly as I imagined when I had seen him after like one or two games and I think I said he's it's not like he's boom or bust but he's like he's so punishing he's so physical that sometimes he'll he'll have a holding penalty he'll he might he might get out leverage once in a while just because he's trying he's trying to do something crazy he's trying to he's trying to he's going for pancakes Jordan Jackson loves pancakes more than anyone else um I think Jonah's playing at an extremely high level. And you mentioned Josh and Thayer. That left side of the line is really strong right now, and there's a reason why they are that why they run that side. Um, they, they have a lot of success doing so. Yeah, I mean, it's it, – just, again, talk about overall, I think that offensive line has taken a big step forward this year. I think mean, mm-hmm. uh, Greg Stradrow, excuse me, has done a great job with that group. Uh, it, and it's funny, when the fourth best offensive lineman in our eyes – is the guy who th- two or what was it three years ago was the number one offensive guard in his recruiting class? Like that's pretty good. And is still performing very high level in my yep. opinion. So. so same and the and like the weak link quote unquote of the offensive line is a guy who started in 2017 six games. Like this is a this is a this is a line that has a lot of talent and a good amount of experience, and I think they're all meshing faster than than um, they're they're meshing as fast as you could imagine them meshing because they just have so many new moving parts. I mean, Jonah didn't even get to Ohio State until this till this summer. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who has been really impressive. I didn't really know what to think of him mm-hmm. coming in. Uh, just making that jump from Rutgers to Ohio State, it's a big difference. But we've seen it. I mean, we, we, we've seen it with both him and Justin. Uh, there's a reason why uh, Ryan Day brought these guys in as transfers because they've both just come in and have been outstanding from the beginning since they've arrived at Ohio State. And when you just put them together with all the other pieces Ohio State has on this offense, uh, including you know the tight ends who have done a great job in blocking, the wide receivers who, who do a great job in blocking as well as catching passes. And then we mentioned J.K., uh, Master Teague, a guy as well who I think is really emerging as that number two running back. Uh, right now they're, they're going with J.K. as really the feature back. Uh, master still most of his carries are coming in the second half he didn't have um, a carry until the second half he didn't he, he got in for a couple plays in the first half but but he didn't actually get any carries uh, JK's definitely the workhorse right now uh, master they're, they're working in there he's been really impressive 
And what do you think about the way they're using him? It is completely different to what they did with J.K. and Mike Weber. Yeah, I mean, I, I think year. I like I like J.K. being the feature guy, especially as well as he's running right now. Uh, so I, I like I I think across the board everyone will like him being the feature guy. Do you like the way that they've integrated Master Teague? I, you know, I think maybe you, especially as you get into the second half of the year, maybe you want to integrate Master uh, a little bit more. Uh, earlier in the game, just to keep J.K. fresh. Uh, we talked about it. They haven't been in a four-quarter game yet, so I guess the question is, if, if the way you're running it right now, where J.K. is seeing the vast majority of snaps before a game is decided, if you get into a game where you really need him in the fourth quarter and, if, and he's played the entire game, is he is he going to be fresh at the end of a game? Is 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 he going to be worn out if he's already run the ball thirty times? And I think that's an important point because they beat Michigan State by a good by a good enough amount that he didn't have to have all the carries and he still had twenty four. Right. Master had fourteen. I don't think they want to be in a situation where they have JK run. Right. You look at a game times. like a Wisconsin game, which maybe is going to be closer at the end. Yeah. I mean, you could be looking at him running 35, 40 times if if you don't mix master in there so my feeling would be if you like what you're seeing from master you go into the second half of the year i would try to get master integrated a little more early in the game i, I still think jk should be playing most of the snaps and getting the bulk of the carries but i do think that i think that master has shown at this point that he deserves uh, a healthy share of the carries and i don't i JK's definitely your best running back, but I don't think you're losing a ton when Master comes in there because I think he's showing. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he's as good in pass protection, which I think might be part of it. Uh, but I think in terms of running the ball, I think he's showing a lot of playmaking ability in that regard. Yeah, I, I, I never really got um, the vibe last year that JK and Mike particularly enjoyed the way that they were being used. They never said anything bad about it, but I mean. I didn't think it was the best way they could have been used. It seemed a little just janky. Like I didn't. They, I think it, when it you're, like I think when you're coming in and out all the time, it's hard to get into a rhythm as a running back. Yeah, and it, it was seemed to be series by series. One thing that I do sort of like this year, and they've done it a few times, I like the Master Teague series. Like I sort of like when there's a series and they just give it to Master like two or three times in a row. Because one, I think he's the kind of back who. If he breaks one tackle, there's a chance he goes for 25, 30, 40 yards. He, he's the kind of guy who gets upfield super fast. And he's physical. He's punishing. He's really strong. He's really fast. I think he's a really good complement to J.K. in that regard, and that's how I would, I, would want them, I would want them to do that a little bit earlier in the game, like you said. I, I think J.K. can take all the first quarter carries, but I think there's a, there's a, there's a second quarter um, part that I think that I would have – had master in and I say that knowing that they pulled away in the second quarter so it's not like ultimately it mattered but but I think you're right in a four quarter game and they're going to come um, maybe maybe getting master in there's a little bit um, a little bit of a better option looking and Tony Alford said the same thing after the game he said that he wished he got master in earlier looking at the defensive side of the ball uh, Ohio State's defensive player of the game defensive players of the game against Michigan State uh, were Jay Sean Cornell and Sean Wade uh, Rewatching the game, uh, I could see why Cornell was defensive player of the game. Didn't necessarily notice it in live action, but uh, just just watching watching the game on tape, uh, thought he got a lot of penetration. Uh, was in the backfield a lot, and I think he's another guy uh, just like his fellow fifth year senior Davon Hamilton, and I think Robert Landers as well. 
I think those are three guys that have all quietly played really well this year. I don't think they get as much attention as, of course, Chase Young, uh, but even some of the other guys on defense like Malik Harrison and Jeff Okuda and Sean Wade and Jordan Fuller, I think those defensive tackles tend to get overshadowed, but I think they've all played really well, and I think they're all a reason why this defense is playing as well as it is. Yeah, we've mentioned the defensive tackles now for a few weeks, but it's because like they Nobody are... Nobody else is. They, so. they, yeah, no one else is, and, and they're, they are the unsung heroes on this defense. Like We talk a lot about how the linebackers have improved, but it but a good amount of it too is that the defensive tackles are the defensive tackles are sort of devastating up front. You have to pay attention to them, and if you're not going to pay attention to them, they got enough different types of bodies too that they can throw at you. And and I think Robert Landers had another really good game this week. I noticed him a few times penetrating. Uh, he, there was one moment where he ended up on the ground and crawled for a tackle for loss, uh, which is exactly what I imagine Robert Landers doing. Um, but like the, those defensive tackles are. No, no one really mentions them because they're not going to exactly rack up the stats, but they, they are key in this defense. Sean Wade, also defensive player of a game, uh, thought he had an excellent game on Saturday. A guy who was really all over the place. He played every single snap of a game. And just watching him on film, and there were a couple times he was lined up as basically a defensive end. He's lining up on the line. They'll bring him on blitzes. Uh, they kind of move him all over the defense. And, and you can tell just from talking to Greg Madison, talking to the defensive coaches, his versatility is, is something that they love to have because they feel confident putting him in man coverage on a slot receiver. Uh, they feel coverage bringing him on a blitz, uh, trying to blow up a screen pass, defending the run. There's so many different things that he can do. Uh, he, he, he's a different player than Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett. He, he, he's not playing that you know, just true cornerback role all the time. He's, he's doing a lot of different things. I do wonder and his skill set. His skill set gives them the ability to use him in a lot of different ways. And I do wonder if he would play, if, if Brent White would play more if they didn't believe so much in Sean Wade. Like, I think Sean Wade's out there. Well, Sean Wade is out there all the time, and it's because Sean Wade can just do a bunch of things. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, Pete Warner obviously is in that conversation as well. I think both those two guys in particular, they've both made themselves into guys who they don't want to take off a field. Yep. And Brendan White has been the one who's suffered as a result of that because uh, the way the defense is structured, it's not really structured for those for those three guys to all be on the field at the same time. We saw the first game of the year, we actually saw Brendan White rotate with Sean Wade. But since then, uh, Sean Wade's been on the field pretty much every play. And, and I think he should be. I think the yep. way that he's played, uh, I, I, I think – he is absolutely one of their best 11, probably one of their best five defensive players. And so it's hard to take a guy like that off the field. Um, it's yeah, hard there's to no reason to. There would be no reason to, to, to do so unless you thought Brendan White was one of your best four, and I don't think they do. No, they don't. And, and you know, but Brendan, Brendan White keeps coming up every week, and why isn't he playing more? And, and you know, it, it's a valid conversation, and I, I, I am surprised – uh, it, I'm not surprised at this point, but going into the year, I thought he would, would play a lot more than he mm -hmm. has. Uh, but again, I, I think it's just the reality of they've got, you know, it, they've got a lot of really talented players, and, and someone's the odd man out. And, 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 and here's the thing. 
if somebody gets hurt, if Sean Wade gets hurt or Pete Werner gets hurt or something like that, I mean, White's probably going to play a lot. He, he's 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 the next man up in kind of several roles, I think, where he, he, he you know it could only take one injury for him to end up playing a lot. So I think he's still a guy that they need and that is important to this team. But the reality is right now, uh, there just isn't really a spot where he's going to play a lot on his defense. And, you know, I, you look at the guys who, you know, who would you take out? Uh, I think there's one player who some fans would want would to take out uh, of the lineup, and we're going to get to that later because we've been asked a question about it uh, once again this week. Uh, but I think overall, you, you know, the, the lineup they have is doing so well that if you're a guy like Brendan White or if you're another young player on that defense who, you know, maybe deserves more playing time, a, a Josh Proctor uh, or, or a Dallas Gant or someone like that, it's just hard to find a spot for him right now as long as guys stay, stay healthy. And the reality is that's a good problem to have. It's a good problem to have when you've got more guys who are ready to play than you have spots to play them. Yeah, and speaking of staying healthy, I referenced this a little bit ago, but but I think this this bye week um, is sort of coming at a perfect time for them in a few in a few facets. I think, well, number one, the, the health factor. There, there's not one guy who's who they who they've uh, been missing who I think they this bye week is really helping. But I think there's a few guys who are banged up who. Like, having a week off is actually huge for. Like, I get that Thayer Munford finished the game, but you're not going to convince me that he's not playing through it, playing through something. I don't know what it is. They don't like to talk about injuries anymore. I think he's been playing through something for two years. Yes. And, and I think he's a tough guy who <laughs> yes. fights through it. But, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, him, you, know, you saw Chase Young uh, kind of bang up his shoulder at the end of the game. Yeah. We saw Jordan Fuller limp off after his interception. Yep. We know Damon Arnett's got some sort of wrist injury. We're not sure how serious that is, but he can definitely use the extra week. Justin Fields uh, took a lot more shots against Michigan State than he did in the first five games. Brandon Bowen and Josh Allaby. Uh, Kevin yeah, Wilson I mean, I, think, I think this is a great time for everybody uh, to, to get some rest and recovery, and they're going to get the opportunity to do that. Uh, players are actually going to be going home on Thursday. Uh, it's fall break at Ohio State. Uh, this upcoming weekend. So they're actually going to get to go home for a few days. Uh, they're going to have a few days off from football. And I think it's a good thing uh, coming right in the midpoint of a season. They get another bye week coming up in just a couple weeks. So uh, that's a nice luxury to have if they don't usually have. But I think certainly right now is a really good time for that. Yeah, and the second part of that that I, th that I think is big is um, they can sort of look at the schedule in three chunks. And this second chunk, Northwestern and Wisconsin, I think you want to have a little bit of rest before those teams because that, that that sounds like a physical two games yeah. in a row, especially with Michigan State preceding it. Absolutely. Um, and they get they get an extra week where, listen, they're all going to say they're preparing for Northwestern, but you, you listen, we all know that they're looking at Wisconsin a little bit as well at the same time. Um, and having the chance to look at the schedule in chunks and just look at these two games at one time, get an extra week to consider it, I think that's beneficial. At about the halfway point of our show here, so uh, going to move on to your questions in just a few minutes. One more thing I want to talk about in that game. Uh, Zach Harrison, I thought, was, was very impressive against Michigan State. Uh, we saw him. They, they actually did an interesting formation. Uh, where they did a three-man front. I would call it an awesome formation. Yeah, where <laughs> Zach was actually the nose tackle in that formation, and I asked Greg Madison about that formation on Tuesday, and he said really the goal of that formation was to get the most speed on the field possible. And they had Chase Young, Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison on the defensive line. They've got Baron Browning barreling off the edge as a pass rusher, uh, Malik Harrison out there. Uh, Brendan White was actually in the game as a bullet 
on on that ser- on that package as well. And it was actually uh, like uh, now I'm so like I can't tell. I thought he was basically a strong safety, but we're just gonna call him the bullet because it's a cool name. Yeah, I I, I thought that was a really intriguing package, and, it, and I think looking so far this year, we haven't really seen that. Uh, same Rushman package that we were used to with a four defensive end look. They don't really seem to be doing that this year. I'm not sure that we're we're ever going to see that this year. Uh, maybe they maybe they have it in in the back pocket for, for at some point. But I, it, they're they're doing some different things. I, I thought that was kind of a, a unique twist on that. Yeah. That's really intriguing. I think there are two two things to that. The reasons for the Rushman. I think one. Like, they've just had too many defensive ends battle injuries that I think it might be hard to put together, like, this is the Rushman package every single week. They're going to go to this. I mean, Cooper's only played two games in a row now. Tyreek's been in and out of the lineup. Friday Um, as well. Friday as well, yeah. Um, And then also, like, I think I want to be number one person on this. Like, Baron Browning pass rush experience, like, I could not be more on board with this. The guy is so fast and so physical. He's not giving up any size. He's 6'3", 250. I don't know what he runs, but I imagine it's somewhere around a 4'5"-ish. When when you're standing there before the game and he's doing doing pass rush drills, you're like, how is this guy not a defensive end? And I get it. He's a really good linebacker. You want him there as well. But they need to get him in those situations more often, in my opinion. Like I think a couple times a game, it's nice for them to do it, but... I don't. I don't think that they would be putting themselves in any peril by doing it a few more times a game. No, and it was interesting too. They also had another nickel package that they used uh, against Michigan State, where they had four defensive linemen, but then Harrison and Browning were the two linebackers, and then Josh Proctor was getting in there as well. So we are starting to see them mix in some more of these packages that we heard about yeah, with but, double safeties too. Which, yeah, which, which, we had. Uh, they have. They, Every week they, they they unveil a couple new looks, and that's a good thing because it, it, it gives you some different things that teams aren't going to see on film, and I think they've probably still got some more stuff up their sleeve. So a lot of different things this defense can do. We talked about it. They've got uh, well over 11 players who can contribute on this defense, so uh, that, that really helps. Uh, we're going to get to your questions. A uh, couple quick things that I wanted to address. Uh, a little bit of speculation. Uh, starting on Monday, when Jay Gruden was fired, that Ryan Day, uh, should the Washington Redskins pursue him as their next head coach? Uh, Dwayne Haskins, of course, is there. Hasn't gotten off to a great start there. Uh, Day would probably be the perfect guy uh, to come in and, and take over as head coach and, and, and coach Dwayne. Uh, but he says he's happy to be at Ohio State. Jeff Halfley's had his name attached to some college head coaching openings and uh, defensive coordinator NFL openings as well. He says he's happy to be at Ohio State. Uh, they, they make it sound like they're going to be around for a long time, but they also neither of them is also going out there and flat out denying it either. You, you, you never know. Uh, I I think yeah, I I think Day is going to be around for the long haul. He talked about Tuesday how. You know, moving his family three times in three years. He was with the Eagles for just one year. He was with the 49ers for just one year. Uh, he's sick of doing that. Uh, I think he's really embracing the new job in Columbus. And quite frankly, he's got one of the best jobs in sports. Uh, and also, he's he's not like he's risen pretty quickly. Yeah. Like there's like there isn't a next giant step. Like there obviously is when he's offensive coordinator at Ohio State. You look for a head coaching job somewhere. Now he's a head coach at Ohio State. Like, 
you might as well prove you can win at Ohio State, and then if there's something else that, that you want to do, move on from there. But there's not, like, I, I'm going to always look at the New England Patriots job with him just because of his NFL experience and where he grew up. But other than that job, I'm not sure there's one that I'm looking at and being like, wow, just wait till that opens. And, and here's the thing. You're already the head coach at Ohio State, which is, again, we're talking a, a top two or three job in college football. It, going to the NFL is a big risk. If, if you leave Ohio State to go coach in the NFL and it doesn't work out, uh, that's a big risk. And right now things are going pretty well at Ohio State. So Yeah, you inherited one of the most talented rosters in college football, and they're, they're recruiting yeah. really well right now. There's no, there's no obvious reason of why he and should me, leave. So I, don't, like, I, I, don't, I do not think you, that's coming You step soon. into this situation where Urban Myers built this program up for you. You step in and you're able to compete for championships right away. You go to Washington, you've got a deal with Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen who have shown – they are not capable of running a competent organization uh, based on everything they've done there so far. And you've got to go in and clean up their mess. That, quite frankly, is a much more difficult job than he has at Ohio State. Uh, and I think it would be a mistake to take it. I don't, I don't uh, deny that it's possible he could go to the NFL someday. I'm not inside his head. But I think right now he's happy at Ohio State. Uh, I think Jeff Halfley's happy at Ohio State, too. Uh, certainly, I would imagine that he has aspirations of either being a college head coach or being an NFL defense coordinator at some point. Uh, again, can't get inside his head, but I would be surprised if any of this fallout happened after this year. I do think there's a very good chance, particularly with Jeff Halfley, that he will see a nice raise after the season. Uh, as I think he will have offers that he can leverage in, into getting a nice raise from Ohio State. Uh, but, but my guess is he'll be around for at least two or three years. Yeah, I – listen, he is such a riser in the college in, – in the, in the coaching profession in general that I don't think that you can say anything um, with certainty about him. I think he'll be back next year. Um, like when I looked up earlier, I, I, I had forgotten that Urban Meyer's staff when he was – um, hired in 2012, the entire staff stayed in 2013. Obviously, it's a little bit of a different situation because Ryan Day's inheriting half of Urban Meyer's staff. But Jeff Halfley is one of the new hires. I don't imagine that he's going to spring for another job after just one year. Um, two years, three years, I, it would, I'm not going to lie, it would be hard for me to imagine him being around for a fourth year. Um, just the way that, that the way that he is performing and the way that the way that people outside, like the Bruce Feldmans of the world, who have knowledge of the entire coaching landscape, the way they talk about it makes it sound like he is he is on the short list uh, of some teams already. He's coached six games at Ohio but State. But you never, but you never know. You, you know, do never Brent, know. Brent Venables could have left Clemson five years ago exactly. if he wanted to, and instead he's just continued to become the highest paid defensive coordinator over and over again and is, has been very happy there. And, and, and one thing I think Ohio State has in its favor right now, and granted, if they win the national championship, Day's probably going to get a raise too. But it, right now, they're not paying Day what they were paying Urban Meyer. So they've got a bigger budget to go and pay some more money to these assistants. Yeah, and I he's think not a million-dollar coordinator yet, but he will be next year. He will be. <laughs> I, I don't think there's any question. Greg Madison's more high-paid than Jeff Halfley right now, but I think next year that's going to change. And it's a little reminiscent of the Ryan Day Because Halfley is 30 years younger, and he's got a lot, he's got a lot more demand 
uh, from people. You know, same thing, a, a Brian Hartline is probably going to get a nice raise next year because he's going to have demand for his services because of how well he's performed. So that's typically the way it works. We saw that with Ryan Day uh, going into the 2018 season. Now, granted, I, I think there were some long-term plans with that one as well because uh, obviously we saw what happened with Urban Meyer. I, I think there was always an idea when he signed that three-year contract in 2018 that he might become Ohio State's next, next head coach. Uh, but I, I think Halfley in particular – with what he's done with his defense and how well they've recruited, I think that's a guy they're going to want to try to keep around if they can. Oh, definitely want to keep him around as long as they can. Do you want to hit hit up questions right now, or is there anything else you want to hit real quick? One thing I wanted to hit up real quick, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about how Chase Young could be better than Mabosa's. And Nick heard it. But i got to say, after watching last night, I thought, man, did we forget how good Nick Bosa is because – Man, did he look good on Monday night. That was your take? Because my takeaway was, man, college football just missed out on Nick Bosa, Draymond Jones, and Chase Young for a year. Yeah, that would have well, been I mean, incredible. it would have been – yeah, I mean, we got robbed of seeing last year's defensive line and its full potential. And who knows, maybe that defense doesn't have the kind of struggles that it did last year if they had Nick Bosa out there. But – what a performance that he had against the Browns on Monday night. A guy, you know, he's now put himself right into the forefront of that NFL defensive rookie of the year conversation. Uh, the big question for him has been can he stay healthy? Because even leading up to his rookie season, he's had some injuries out there in San Francisco. But, man, when, he, when he's healthy, he's really, really good. And, I mean, it just goes to show to go from Joey Bosa to Nick Bosa to Chase Young. Zach Harrison, who we just talked about, is on the rise. Jack Sawyer coming in a couple years. Ohio State's had quite a run of build of these elite talents at defensive end, uh, some of whom have already been top five NFL draft picks and some who could be soon. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> the funny thing is, like, we talk about Zach Harrison. It's like, well, he's going to be around for at least two more years. And, like, when you see Jack Sawyer, it's like, well, in two years, he's, he's just going to be getting to Ohio State. <laughs> like, they're going to be just fine. I had one question that was submitted to me on Twitter from our friend, uh, South Carolina Buckeye, who, who typically asks questions. He, he asked me, he said, Did, do we think Nick Bosa gave up on Ohio State last year? Uh, my answer on that is no. Uh, I saw some people saying that again on Monday night. Nick Bosa was hurt last year. Uh, he, 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 he probably would not have been able to play even if he had stayed at Ohio State. He did what was best for him, and I think if you talk to any of his teammates or coaches, they totally understand why he made the decision he did. Yeah, I think the information cycle did, a, did him wrong because I think initially, like, Urban sort of put it out there that they were hopeful that he would come back, and then his dad said his dad gave a little bit of hope that he'd come back later in the season. And then I think just ultimately he, he couldn't come back, and they realized that, and they just totally shut it down. And and I think a lot of people remembered those early comments and didn't remember what actually eventually sort of came out and happened. Yeah, and I think uh, you could see from the reactions last uh, Monday night after his uh, flag-planting celebration uh, that he's still got a lot of support from his former Ohio State teammates and coaches. And I would imagine maybe won some Ohio State fans back last night who were upset with him uh, with that celebration. You'd imagine. Of course, taunting Baker Mayfield. Uh, we want to get into questions now. Talking about the NFL gives us a good segue into our first question because uh, we promised we would get back to this one. Uh, thank you to the Nomadic Buckeye for submitting your question again. Uh, and that question was, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, J.K. Dobbins, 
they're almost locks to leave early for the draft. I agree. I'd be shocked if any of them came back next yep. year, even though they have another year of eligibility. Do you think any other draft-eligible players leave early this year? And then he added to his question this week, which works out because this is the first guy that we would have brought up anyways, is let's talk about Sean Wade. And what will Sean Wade be at the next level if he goes pro after this season? And if he comes back, what will he be next season? And that's where I think this conversation gets really interesting with Sean Wade because uh, we saw uh, Joe Marino, a guy who I actually uh, used to work with and uh, is a guy I think very highly of, he actually just released a mock draft a couple days ago that had Sean Wade as a late first-round pick. And we're starting to hear that kind of buzz for Sean Wade now. He's a guy who could be that early-round NFL draft pick type. And, and I thought going into the year, I, I thought that was a possibility. I think he started to legitimize that with his play. But the big question I have with him is exactly what Nomadic Buckeye asked, is if he comes back next year, would he move into the role that Jeff Okuda is playing now? Would he play as an outside cornerback, and would that elevate his draft stock? And I think it could, because I think right now, if I'm an NFL team drafting him, I'm drafting him to be a slot corner. I'm, I'm drafting him to play the kind of role he's playing at Ohio State. And he could be very valuable in that role. Uh, there's guys like Minka Fitzpatrick who have been uh, high picks in recent years for playing similar kind of roles. And, and, and players like him, that the kind of versatility uh, has become a much more valuable thing in the NFL as teams have gone to spread offenses and you see a lot more teams playing free cornerbacks at once. But I would also, if I'm an NFL scout, I would want to see what he can do as an outside cornerback. I don't think I would feel comfortable drafting him right now to play outside cornerback because he hasn't done it at Ohio State. So if I was Jeff Halfley and I was trying to convince him to stay for next year, that would be the start of my argument is that if you come back, if you want to play outside corner, we'll give you that chance next year because – they're going to lose Jeff Okuda. They're going to lose Damon Arnett. So they could definitely use him outside. We'll give you that chance. You're going to come back. You're going to be the star of our secondary next year. So Okuda's going to be gone. Arnett's going to be gone. Fuller's going to be gone. And I think if he leaves this year, could he be a first-round pick? I think it's possible. If he comes back next year and has a great year and shows he can do more, could he be a top 10, top 15 kind of pick? I think that's very possible, too. So I think he's probably the one player right now that's going to have the most interesting conversation in terms of whether he should go pro or whether he should stay for another year. I think the one part of the the pitch to, to Sean Wade that you're missing is the look at Jeff Okuda pitch because they came into the same class. If you look at their size, they're both 6'1". They're both basically 200 pounds. Both have long arms. They both just look like cornerbacks, and there's a reason why they were number one and number two cornerbacks in their class coming out. They're these five-star prospects. Um, they imagine they're going to play for Kerry Combs, and they end up playing for Tavor Johnson, Jeff Halfley. They still develop in, into what they are right now. And basically because Jeff Okuda had that Rose Bowl where he was playing outside cornerback and played, played great, and he's – Played in that exact same position. He's been a lockdown cornerback. He's he's played like that exact same um, prototypical. He just looks like a cornerback. He plays like a cornerback. You look at that body type, and he's he looks more proto, more like a prototypical corner than Denzel Ward, Marshawn Lattimore, anyone like that. I think that you tell Sean Wade, like, look at him. He's going to be a top ten pick. You can be that. 
I don't think if Sean Wade left this year, no matter what happens in the next six to nine games, um, I don't I don't think that that he's going to develop into a top fifteen pick. No, but I just don't think the role that he's playing right now. I don't I don't think that lends it lends him to being a top fifteen pick yet because I think there's still some questions about what he could do at the next level. But I think that NFL teams see Jeff Okuda, they, they, like, you can see what Jeff Okuda has, these natural abilities. I don't think Sean Wade's natural abilities are that much different than Jeff Okuda's. You see the... Well, I, think they, see the I think they actually are different in some I think they're ways, di- I think they're different but I don't players. think that means worse. I think, I think there's some different things that Okuda... I, mean, I, I think Okuda, his ability to come downhill and make plays on the ball... Uh, is elite for a cornerback. I think his ability to just, you, you know, he's got a real knack for coming after the ball. He's a very aggressive playmaker. He has great closing speed. He has great closing speed. He hits hard. Uh, I think he does a lot of those things that in that kind of versatile defensive back that the NFL is looking for right now. And I think that means he could play corner. He could play safety at the NFL. There's a lot of different things he could do. I, I just think if I'm an NFL team, if I'm going to draft him that high, I would want to see him with some more reps as that, at that outside cornerback spot to know if he can play there. Even if even if he doesn't necessarily play that role in the NFL, I'd still want to see him play it more. Oh, I don't disagree. Like I don't think any team's taking him in the top 15 picks this year, and I also don't think if they're taking him in the top 15 picks this year that they would pick him to pick him thinking that he is Jeff Okuda right now. But I think that he would be taken really high in the draft because – you look at what he's done in the position that he's done it, and you look at his build and look at Jeff Okuda and look at what Jeff Okuda has done in the way that he's done it at Ohio State. And I think that that, that I think that Sean Wade's ability to translate to Jeff Okuda, like when you're talking about Jeff Okuda's strengths, I think you can say like almost all of those you could have said about Sean Wade too. Like I think Sean Wade is really good, and I think, I think if, you're, if you're taking him outside of the first round, I think ultimately he would probably be undervalued in the NFL. Um, and I think that's why like, I sort of lean right now to, to him leaving Ohio State after this year. And I think you, you might lean the opposite. I don't know what I lean either way because I'm, I'm not in his head. I'm, well, I'm, I'm not just, in his head. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind I, of we're all guessing. <laughs> uh, what I'm saying is I think for him, I think he has reasons to look at both ways. I think Definitely. Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, J.K. Dobbins, there's no reason for those guys to come back after this year. I think their stock is already after this year going to be as high as it's going to get. So I don't think there's any reason for them to come back for another year. I think Sean Wade has reason to come back to potentially improve his draft stock. I don't necessarily know that he needs to do that, but I think that he has reason to. And I, and I think the same would be true for any other uh, draft-eligible players that could leave early this year. You know, look, looking at the roster, uh, I think probably, if I was going to say, say anyone else, I think would be uh, more likely to leave uh, after this year, I'd probably say Fayer Munford, being a second-year starter at left tackle. Uh, I think he's certainly uh, an NFL talent at that position. Uh, I, I think he's got enough experience. Uh, he's had some issues of injury, so it might be smart for him to go uh, now if he can. Uh, you know, so I, I think he's probably the guy I would point to next who would be the most likely guy to go. There's certainly other guys who would consider it, who could consider it. I mean, even Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, 
they have NFL ability, I'd be a little surprised if they left after one year as a starter. I don't think there's anyone else other than Young, Okuda, Dobbins, Wade, maybe Munford, who I look at and say I think they'll leave right now. It doesn't mean there aren't guys who could, though. I'd be shocked if, if one of the offensive linemen that you mentioned leaves. I think uh, – uh, not not talking about Thayer. I'm talking about Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis. I think Thayer is definitely can't leave, especially since, like we've mentioned, his injuries. Like, one, I think that could hold him back in the eyes of NFL draft analysts. But, two, I think he's he, he, might, he might be risking something by coming back. I mean, you just never know with someone um, who's battled what he's battled. And, like, I think there are two dark horses that I would mention – um, like I look at Baron Browning, and it's like that guy's gonna play in the NFL, and I know that he's not even the starter right now, but but he has the build, he has the instincts, he has he has the speed, he has the power. The guy, the guy right now, if he declared after this year and he doesn't and he doesn't ever start a game, it would surprise me because like at the end of the day, you're always expecting. Like, I would expect someone who's not a starter and who I think would be a starter next year to come back. But it wouldn't totally shock me. And I also think Pete Warner is a bit of a dark horse. I think I, I'm much more confident in him coming back. But he's played well. Um, I think he's he's really athletic. He's developed his body. It wouldn't be a complete shock yeah, if he I, left, but I, but I think he's going to Yeah, back. I agree. I don't think it's out of a question, but – my feeling is Barron will be back, Pete will be back, Tuff will be back, and those would be your free starting linebackers for next year, I think. We've talked about it. I think yeah, Barron will probably be the starting Will. We already saw him this past game. He played – he was basically our second team Will, rotating in with Malik at that spot. So I think he'd be in line to start alongside those two guys next year. Pete, I think, is probably a four-year guy. Not that he couldn't get drafted right now, but that one would – uh, definitely surprised me. Uh, same with a tough Borlander yeah. or Luke I just, Farrell. I just, those are guys who would could. Those are guys who could go pro if they wanted to. But I I'd just be know there are surprises every single year, and like those are the kind. Of, those are the two guys that maybe I would keep my eye on as well, as we get closer. We've already used up most of our time answering this one question, but this is why we waited until this week to answer this one. Uh, so we'll see what. So we'll see how many more we can uh, get through before we get kicked out of the library here. Uh, but. You know, Seattle Linga asked us, I think going through first quarter adversity was good for the Buckeyes. Do you feel the same? And do you think the monkey's off? Justin Fields is back now that he throws his first pick. I, we already talked about this a little bit. I do think the adversity was good for the Buckeyes, especially going into the, the bye week. It gives them more tangible stuff to work on. And I actually do think the interception was good for Justin Fields, too. Uh, get that out of the way. Uh, no more talk about the interceptionless streak. And, again, gives them something for uh, – Ryan Day to drove him on, though, though Day actually took the blame for that interception. He, he said that his play call uh, was actually what led to that, though Justin could have made a better decision in front of the ball away. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about the adversity thing. I don't, I don't think the, there was any real monkey on Justin Fields' back. I don't think that he was trying to not throw interceptions just to make sure he could keep a streak alive. Though that to, what I'm saying is I don't, think, I don't think it hurts him. I don't think the – I think – uh, it ultimately didn't hurt him because yeah. it didn't. It came no, in the I second think, half of the I game. Think, I think. I think. I well think we can move on from that now. Still having a great year. Uh, one interception certainly isn't gonna gonna ruin that. I just wonder how many snaps it'll take to get the second one. Not probably not 136. Yeah. Uh, Math Buckeye asked us about Baron Browning playing at a different level right now. Uh, should he be playing more than Tough Borland? Is there anything Tough is doing? To justify taking snaps away we get this question a lot I would say uh, every single week yeah and, and I th I think it's understandable because I think 
Barron is making more plays than Tough. Uh, I think every single week we are seeing Barron make a big play at some point that flashes. And I don't think we're really seeing that from Tough. Uh, you know, coming out of a game on Saturday, I had thought that Tough was maybe their biggest weakness in the game. Uh, I, I didn't think he played particularly well. But then he was named a champion, as was Baron Browning. And then watching the game on tape, I, I, I think Tuff played better than I thought. I saw Tuff make some plays that I didn't see him make in live action. And the reality is, Baron Browning is more talented than Tuff Borland. There's, there's no question about that, but he's a more physically gifted player than Tuff Borland. And my, my opinion would be, if it's the fourth quarter of a game, and the game's on the line, and you need your best players out there, your free linebackers should be Malik Harrison, Baron Browning, and Pete Werner. But I do think Tuff is going to continue to play. I think his leadership, uh, I think the way that he sets a defense and, and is able to make those those calls, I, I think that's something that he brings that doesn't necessarily show up on film but, but still adds value to what he's doing on defense. And he's not ever out of position. Like he, he's, he's always in position sometimes. He just doesn't have the athleticism to make the play. And I think there's also, I think there's also a point now when I think – this happens to Tough. I think it also happens to to Pete, and and I think it's probably a little more warranted for Tough than it is for Pete. But I think it, he's a guy now where any time he screws up, people jump on him. Any time he gets beat, people jump on him because there's a lot of people who who don't think he should be starting. And and I, again, Barron is clearly a better athlete. He clearly has more speed. Uh, Tough's lack of speed does hurt him at times. But I still think he's a good player. I still think there's a reason why he's out there. And uh, the defense has done pretty darn good uh, <laughs> with the guys they've had out there. So I, I, I don't think we're going to ever get to the point, uh, barring an injury, where Barron is suddenly playing every snap at middle linebacker. My question is still, if the game's on the line, who's out there? I would think that guy should be Barron. Whoever it is, I'm not sure, but I would think that's the guy who it should be. One other last point I would mention is like the the I think Baron Browning's arguably their most athletic linebacker, and I think Tuff is inarguably their least athletic linebacker. And when Tuff makes a play and you can see his lack of athleticism, it really stands out when in the same game you see Baron Browning run a four or five and get a sack. Like I think that they're they're really different players. But that difference is so stark that, like, you want the you want the better athlete out there when when you're watching those types of plays. But I think there are other plays that go into it, which are the reason why he's out there. Ginnon Juice asked us about the right tackle position. We we talked a little bit about that earlier, um, so I'm going to skip over that one because uh, we're running out of time here. Uh, Forty seven Hawk asked us about uh, seeing some zone read plays again against the Michigan State in the Michigan State game. Uh, that we used to see more in the offense, hadn't really seen more of us here. I didn't really pay too much attention to that. I know you, you rewatched the game as well. Did you, did you notice much of that? Um, I think that it was about a similar amount as in the, as in the first few games. There were uh, – I mean, they, I think that – I don't think they've gone away from that this year. I think that that's been a good, good portion of their offense. And what I've come away with basically every single game thinking is – like man, if they if they wanted to run Justin Fields ten more times a game, if they wanted to do it, they would be deadly. Because Justin Fields in those zone read situations, he made a terrible read the other day and could have been tackled for a loss and turned into a fifteen yard game. Like he's the kind of guy who's just special as a runner. And did they do more? I don't think they did, but 
damn, it could. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's got that speed. And, and uh, Ryan Day, he did say in his radio interview on Monday, he did say they did call a few more designed runs for Justin against Michigan State. Uh, you know, he also yeah. said in his postgame presser on Saturday that that's a constant debate that he has of whether Justin should run more. And there's uh, no reason to do it in the second half against Michigan State. I thought maybe they'd do it a little more in the first half, um, personally. Yeah, and I think I think you have to be careful. You have to be careful because we know the backup One snap the backup quarterback situation is dicey. Uh, so they have to be careful, but it's certainly a weapon. And I think you look at games like Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan. They're going to use that weapon because they might have to. Uh, Acre KM one, if I pronounced that correctly, asked us, "Who's your biggest surprise as a player so far? Whether it be a negative or a positive." So there's a lot of different directions we can go on this one. And we mentioned Baron Browning, and you mentioned Brendan White, who we talked a little about before. Maybe do you have immediates that come to mind? Cause I, I do. do. I, I, I do. I, I think the, the guy – No one each way. You know, a guy – well, I'm, I'm, you know, the one I was thinking about was just if we're, if we're talking about a, a surprise disappointment. I, I, I think the guy that I'm surprised by that just doesn't have a role on this team right now is Jalen Gill. I think Jalen Gill – is a guy who I thought was going to have a, a role. It was going to be a weapon for this offense as that H-back type of player. And he didn't even play a single snap against Michigan State. And I think uh, it kind of starts to lead to the question of whether the H-back has been phased out of this offense because neither Demario McCall nor Jalen Gill played a single snap against Michigan State. And it kind of feels like that Curtis Samuel, Jalen Marshall – uh, Paris Campbell position that was so prevalent in Urban Meyer's offense, it kind of feels like that might be going away. And, and it kind of leads to questions about what is Jalen Gill's role going to be going forward for Ohio State uh, unless he's somebody who really develops into that n traditional slot receiver, which I don't know if that's exactly his game, uh, or do they – Based on personnel changes, maybe next year do they utilize him more. But but right now, we just haven't seen a lot of it. I'm just going to give two quick ones. One, Garrett Wilson is fifth on the team in catches. And it's not that I, that I think anyone should be disappointed to play. I just thought he'd have more production right now. I thought he'd be, have a, they'd, he'd be a little bit more involved in the offense. And then number two, uh, I thought we were going to get a lot more Demario McCall than we're, than we're getting. And I, it's not like I thought that Demario McCall was going to be a feature of this offense. But I thought that he'd have a role in it, and he he basically doesn't. Positive surprise. Uh, you know, you know, I don't know if there's I don't know if there's anybody. I think I kind of expected a lot of these guys to play well because I thought there's a lot, one who I'm I thinking think, of. Who are you thinking of? Uh, Jonah Jackson. You, we had mentioned it earlier. Like honorable mention, all Big Ten at Rutgers. All right. So what does that translate to Ohio State? Turns out, I think you could make a case he's been the best offensive lineman on the team right he now. Might, he might and be first team all Big Ten. Exactly. And playing. I and I did not I did not expect that going into the year. Yeah. I mean, I think the person who a lot of people would probably say is Pete Warner, but that actually would not be my answer because I actually expected Pete Warner to play well this year. I've been more bullish on Pete Warner than a lot of people. Uh, for the past couple of years now. Uh, I think he got a bad rap last year, so I'm actually not surprised that he's playing as well as he is. I think a guy I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, Jay Sean Cornell is a guy who really didn't do a whole lot the last couple of years. I, I, I would maybe put him as somebody who's been a bit of a surprise for me in terms of, you know, Teron Vincent's a guy who's been hurt all year. We don't even know if he's going to play this year. I thought he might be the guy to break out of that position. Uh, maybe a Haskell Garrett as well. Um, but... Um, 
you know, I, I think that uh, I, I think that Jay Sean's a guy who really uh, has had a positive a positive impact at that position. Dan, I think we're getting kicked out a lot. I think we are. So that means for the rest of you who have questions, we've got about five of you here who ask questions. Uh, I think we're going to have to finish up for finish up for this week. Good news is it is a bye week. Uh, we're not going to have another game to cover next week, so we're going to have uh, plenty of time to get to your questions if we didn't get to them this time. So uh, we apologize to those of you whose questions we weren't able to get to this week. Uh, we've got to we've got to wrap this episode up. So we uh, thank you all for listening in to uh, this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays, and uh, we'll hit you up again next week. <laughs>